What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Baruch is eating breakfast. You know, he's probably eating a cinnamon toast crunch and... Enjoying it with some goat milk, when in walks his good friend, Jeremiah. But Jeremiah doesn't just walk in. He walks in with a massive piece of wood around his neck. And Baruch, I can imagine, starts to laugh and wonder what in the world is happening here. And Baruch says, hey, hey, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah turns to him, hey, what? And, you know, as he turns this this plank that is essentially around his neck with two ends jutting out, probably knocks some plates off the wall or, or maybe ksh, breaks a window. And, you know, Baruch has to duck. And what in the world is that around your Is Is that a yoke? And Jeremiah says, yeah, it's an oxen yoke. God told me to make this and to wear it. Now, what in the world is Jeremiah doing at this point? See, Jeremiah is a prophet. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God had told Jeremiah to enact visual, symbolic acts as a way to prophesy to the people of what was going to come. And so, you remember, he got him to buy some underwear or a loincloth and then to bury it and then to dig it up months later to show how useless the people had become to God. And God's trying to reach his people through prophets and through words and through books and through reading. Well, one way God tried to reach his people was through visuals. So he used this dirty underwear to try to wake people up. This is how dirty you are to God. Or remember we talked about how God said, go down to the potter's house and watch a pot being made and then smash it to show what the people are doing to me and how they're treating me. And so Jeremiah did this. Well, I told you we were going to do four. There are nine visual parables that Jeremiah does in the book of Jeremiah. Well, we were going to look at four of them, and we only got to two of them last time. Well, we're going to look at the last two today, and this first one, man, it's a doozy. He's got to carry a yoke around his neck. 
Now, a yoke is made from bent wood and it's placed around the necks of animals, or in particular, oxen. And it's a way to harness the oxen so so they can pull together, or it's a way to harness one oxen. So then you put this yoke around its neck and then you attach bars to it and they can pull a plow or they can pull a cart or in a yoke that's made for two animals, then you can have two oxen placed side by side this piece of wood with hoops would be hung on their necks, be attached under their necks, and then the hoops would be strapped to this horizontal wooden bar placed across their necks, and then the ox would have to pull together. And then you would attach all the stuff to this wood so that you could pull the cart, pull the plow. Now again, Jeremiah, God says... I want you to take a thick piece of wood and I want you to create a yoke and I want you to put it around your neck. So Jeremiah walks around with this massive yoke or piece of wood around his neck. Well, after destroying his kitchen and talking to Baruch, the big thing he has to do is now he's got to go down to Jerusalem and he's got to talk to two groups of people with this yoke around his neck. So he goes down to Jerusalem and he finds the first group and they're a group of envoys from other nations. See, at this time, King Zedekiah is trying to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And he's asked for other countries like Edom and Moab to form a coalition to try to break away from the bondage and the yoke, get it? The yoke of Babylon. See, earlier in the year, Nebuchadnezzar had had to put down a coup in his own country. Some people uprising, trying to take the throne from him. He had to fight a battle. He had to stop this from happening. Well, Zedekiah and some other kings, they're like, now is the time to break free from the bondage and the yoke of oppression of Babylon because they're going to be so busy trying to put out fires in their own country, put down people trying to rebel in their own country, they won't have time to come fight us all the way over here. Well, the envoys are there to talk to Zedekiah about this very thing when Jeremiah walks into the room. And he's got this big, huge yoke on his neck. And he tells them, don't. You've got to accept the yoke. Accept the bondage. Because God is using Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his will. And Jeremiah goes on to say that God can use whoever he wants to punish other nations, and that God is using Nebuchadnezzar and the power of Babylon to subdue all nations, all other nations. Now, one day, they're going to be punished themselves. One day, their sinful behavior is going to come back, and God's going to judge them. But for now, God is using Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to judge Israel, Judah, and other nations, and any nation Jeremiah is saying this with a big yoke on his neck. Any nation that refuses to bow its neck under Babylonian yoke of oppression, and maybe he tapped the yoke, would be punished by sword, famine, and plague. 
And then Jeremiah says, there's going to be false prophets. They're going to come behind me and going to say, oh, no, don't believe it. You can do this. You can break the yoke of oppression. Don't believe them. They're false prophets. So then Jeremiah makes this prophecy and he turns and he walks out the door. He's got to go find King Zedekiah himself. Now, King Zedekiah, if you remember from earlier podcasts, he is a bad king. He continually does evil in the eyes of the Lord. He led the people far from God. He had a godly father named Josiah. He could have followed in his steps. No, he said, I'm going to lead the people in the worship of Baal and Asherah. Well, King Zedekiah, he's in his throne room, probably talking to his ambassadors and to his officials and trying to work out what they're going to say to this envoy that Jeremiah just talked to. In walks Jeremiah right into the throne room of the king of Judah. Now remember, Jeremiah had to hide for a lot of his prophetic life from Jehoiakim and Zedekiah hates him. Many of the kings of Judah wanted to kill Jeremiah and he has the boldness to walk into the very throne room of Zedekiah. Zedekiah is a powerful man who could kill him at any moment. And not only is he there under threat of death, he's standing there with a massive yoke around his neck. Well, Jeremiah might have looked slightly ridiculous, but at the same time, this is what God asked him to do. And then Jeremiah gave the same prophecy that he gave to the envoys. Don't resist the yoke of oppression by Nebuchadnezzar. There will come false prophets after me who say to ignore it, but accept the yoke of oppression by Nebuchadnezzar, do not fight it just like I'm not fighting this yoke around my neck when suddenly someone grabs the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and I'm sure he had a bar under his chin and pulls it off and whoever this is, he takes that yoke and he breaks it into two. Now, I don't know how this guy actually broke this massive yoke into two. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Maybe he was super strong, or maybe he had a handy saw. <laughs> then he breaks it, you know? All I know is the Bible says another prophet grabs the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and psh, breaks it. You know who this prophet was, this other guy? His name is Hananiah. Now, Hananiah may have thought he was prophesying for Yahweh, but he wasn't. He, like Jeremiah, probably grew up as a priest because he comes from the town of Gibeon, which was a town given to priests where they could raise their family. And so he stands before King Zedekiah and he yells out, don't believe Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not correct. Instead, King Zedekiah, you will smash the yoke of oppression of King Nebuchadnezzar. In two years, Nebuchadnezzar's oppression will be no more, and you will bring back the temple artifacts that he took with him. This is what it says there in Jeremiah 28. Hananiah tells an outright lie, or is he correct? I mean, we have two differences of opinion here, right? 
Jeremiah says to not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Hananiah says to go ahead and rebel. Jeremiah says that Nebuchadnezzar is being used by God to accomplish his will on earth, while Hananiah says it's not true and that this is all going to be over in two years and everything that Nebuchadnezzar took with him is going to be restored. Who do you believe, Zedekiah? Well, he should have believed Jeremiah, right? And Jeremiah told the king that this would happen. He told him that false prophets would arise, talking of victory and wonderful things, but don't believe them. Well, ultimately, in the Bible, the test of a prophet was simply this. Did their prophecy come true? Or did what they say would happen fail to occur? Well, the people and Zedekiah would ultimately have to wait and see, right? So I can imagine Jeremiah looks at Hananiah, shakes his head, looks at Zedekiah in hope that he's believing him. Maybe he looks in his eye and sees that Zedekiah is all about the positive prophecy and he probably shakes his head. And ultimately it just says that Jeremiah just walks away. Well, later on, Jeremiah, I can imagine, is in hiding because he spent most of his days hiding from Zedekiah and all the other kings who wanted to kill him. And he's laying there, maybe, trying to fall asleep or trying to think through what could he have done differently? Should he have built the yoke a little better? How did he break that so easily? I don't know. When God comes to him and he reassures him that his prophecy was correct, And then he goes on to say that the yoke of oppression that Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring isn't going to just be wooden. It's going to be like iron. And nobody's going to be able to break that. And then God told him something incredible. He told Jeremiah to go to Hananiah and to give him this dreadful prophecy. And he probably asked Jeremiah to give this dreadful prophecy in the presence of others so they could witness what Jeremiah said. And I think God gave this prophecy to Jeremiah because he wanted to vindicate his man, his prophet, now and not wait two years. So Jeremiah goes to Hananiah and he tells him this. Because you lied you will die within the year. Because you serve another God and not the true God, and because you lied and prophesied falsely, you will die within the year. Now, the Bible says that this prophecy by Jeremiah on Hananiah was made in the fifth month of the year. Now, two months later, on the seventh month, Hananiah dies. Now, think about it. Number one, this was a risky prophecy for Jeremiah to make. He said in the fifth month of the year that Hananiah would not last out the year, which meant Hananiah had to die in the remaining seven months. He ultimately trusted in the Lord and the God that gave him this prophecy. But man, that took a lot of guts, I think. But secondly, can you imagine what Hananiah must have felt like for those remaining seven months? Knowing that his time is going to come to an end in the next seven months. And, well, you know, Jeremiah, he's old. He can't be trusted. It's stupid. He's insane. I serve the true God. 
Or is he thinking, what if Jeremiah's right? Could it end today? Could it end today? Or, or, or how about today? You know, and, and all those days he lived, I think he must have lived in terror because this could have been the last day and he doesn't know when this day is going to end. And then finally it's over. God kills him. God judges Hananiah for his false words. And he vindicates Jeremiah as his man and Zedekiah listen to Jeremiah. Look at that visual parable. Put yourself under the oppression of Nebuchadnezzar. I am judging my people. It will go better for you if you put yourself under my will, which is to put yourself under the yoke of oppression of Nebuchadnezzar. Will you do it, Zedekiah? Well, ultimately, Zedekiah rebels, and it turns out bad. See, Nebuchadnezzar was being used by God to judge all those nations and to judge in particular Judah and the people in Jerusalem. And this next and final symbolic act is in the middle of all that oppression and warfare by Nebuchadnezzar. See, when we meet Jeremiah again in a scene from his life, Jeremiah, he's in prison. See, he's still under the reign of Zedekiah, and Zedekiah at some point had had enough of all these negative prophecies that Jeremiah was making. They were making him feel bad. So Zedekiah puts Jeremiah in prison. Now, he locks him up many times, but this is probably the final time he puts him in prison, locks him up so he could no longer tell Zedekiah of all the terrible things that were about to happen to Zedekiah and the people of Judah. Well, this prophecy that Jeremiah is about to make, this visual parable, this symbolic act occurs when Babylon is in the middle of besieging Jerusalem. And this prophecy is during this terrible thing called siege warfare. See, in siege warfare, armies come up to the city and they surround it and then they cut it off so no food can go in and no food can get out. No trade goes into the city or out. And this can go on for years. And then the people inside the city are slowly starved to death. They can't get out of the city because if they try to get out, they're immediately killed. But if they stay in the city, they start to run out of food. And not only that, as they're inside the city, the people outside the city, the Babylonians, right, are beginning to build siege ramps to try to get them over the wall. Now it's going to take them a while to build it. So they're building these siege ramps that are ultimately going to lead to the people's death inside the city. And the people inside Jerusalem, Zedekiah himself, are slowly starving to death. Jeremiah himself is in a situation where he's in prison, slowly starving to death death with the threat of death outside the walls and Zedekiah gets so mad at him that he locks Jeremiah up. What a terrible situation. I imagine Jeremiah's there hungry as all get out, 
cold in prison. Prison's never fun. So to pass the time, he probably can imagine plays tic-tac-toe with himself. And he probably wonders, why in the world do I keep on losing to myself? I should be able to win. When all of a sudden, God speaks to him. And God says, get up, wake up, and get ready. Because your relative, Hanamel, the son of your uncle Shalom, he's going to show up today and he's going to ask you to buy his field in Anatoth for your own right and for your own self because you have the right of redemption to buy it. See, in, under Judah law, there were very big stipulations on who could buy land, who could not buy land, and land had to stay within the family and Hanamel. The person who had to buy his land, if he wanted to sell it, if it was going to stay in the family, it had to be Jeremiah. And God says, wake up. I want you to do one more symbolic act. I want you to buy this field in the middle of this terrible siege. Well, a couple minutes later, there's a knock. The door opens and in the guards usher Hanamel. Just like God told him. God told him Hanamel was coming. And lo and behold, he shows up. And guess what Hanamel wanted Jeremiah to do? He wanted him to buy his field. Now why Hanamel is selling a field in the middle of a siege, it's not really for certain. You know, I think he needed the money to simply buy food. Food is scarce and therefore any food that is available is incredibly expensive. And Hanamel needs the money so he's there to sell land to Jeremiah just to buy some food. But again, would you buy this field in the middle of a war? In the middle of a siege, it's a terrible time. I can imagine land prices are through the roof and any money you do have, you want to save for the terrible road ahead. If you do escape, you want to save money for that. Or if you do actually get out and have to buy food, any money you have, you want to save it for that. You don't want to buy a field. But God told Jeremiah to buy it. So Jeremiah buys the field from Hanamel for 17 shekels of silver. And then Hanamel leaves with the money in his hand and Jeremiah calls over his scribe Baruch. And he has two copies of the deed of purchase made. And Jeremiah signs it and one of the copies is rolled up and bound with a piece of string or cord and then Jeremiah would take his official seal and they'd put a little bit of wax on the rolled up copy. And then they would take a little bit of that string and put it in that wax. And then Jeremiah would take his ring and sealed. You can't open that because the strings in that wax sealed by Jeremiah's ring. This is the official copy. And then this other copy, Baruch had to copy and make both. You know, he had to write them both out. This second copy is left unsealed so that people could examine it later and read the details and who does this land belong to without opening the official copy. And then Jeremiah tells Baruch to take both copies 
and to put them in a clay jar for preservation. See, these documents, Jeremiah would probably never be able to come back and claim the land. But these documents, and as Baruch put them in this jar of clay, put the lid on, and put it up on a shelf, these documents, this preservation, the fact that they were being kept in a clay jar for future generations, it was a symbolic act, a visual parable of this one thing. Hope. Hope. And in this passage, it's really interesting. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17 Jeremiah says to God, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And later on in Jeremiah 32, verse 27, God says to Jeremiah, Look, I am the Lord, the God over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? And that's how this parable ends. Is anything too difficult for me? Is there anything too hard for you, Lord? Is it too hard for you that in the middle of this siege to give hope to the people of Judah? And the hope was this, that man, things look bad. Things look terrible. And ultimately, Jerusalem will be sacked and it will be wiped out and the people of Judah will be taken by Nebuchadnezzar all the way back to Babylon and they will be removed from the land. But this visual parable gives the people hope that one day they're going to return. And one day, just like Jeremiah, they're going to buy and sell land like before because God is good and God keeps his promises. And though things look bleak, remember this. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for me, God says? And this visual parable says no. We're looking forward to the day when Israel will be back in the land and safe and my people will be gathered to me. And this is the promise God is making through this visual parable. Things look bleak, but there is hope. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.